Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. It's called Real Community, the way of Jesus for life together. And today I wanna speak about the idea of intergenerational community. Intergenerational community. Before I do, I wanna pray for us. God, have your way. We need you. We love you and we trust you. Holy Spirit, come. God, speak to each one of us. Have your way. Amen. Lee read from Psalm 145, and I just I want to read that one verse. It's, it's stuck out to me this week, even as, as I've looked at intergenerational community. This has been something that I think has been important in my life and in the, the life of our church. And Psalm 145, verse 4 says, Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. Even this morning, we do something as a team called a huddle where we gather together and usually some people on the team share maybe some, some things they're learning or some things that are encouraging. And, and one of the people on our team shared that they had a moment where, where God healed her back. And we had our kids in the room. And so we had an opportunity to grab our kids and our team and pray for some people in the room. And we get to be the kind of church where each generation tells its children of God's mighty acts, proclaiming their power. This week, on Thursday, I was in the room with a bunch of pastors in London, and we got to spend some time together. We ate, and we shared what what has been going on in our lives, and some of the, the wins, some of the losses, some of the challenges, and I was so struck by how honest everyone got. Because sometimes, if you're not familiar with church or other pastors, sometimes pastors get around each other and they immediately feel like they need to compare or there's pride or there's walls and you go like, what if I share, this is really difficult. The other person's like, well, my ministry is amazing and church is perfect and all my people are amazing. And then you're like, wow, clearly I'm the worst. And what I was so struck by was that every single person in the room got gut level honest we got to celebrate wins, but we also got to, got to mourn losses and difficulties and challenges. And you know what was amazing? Is there were people in the room that were in their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, and their 60s. One guy that's starting, another guy that's finishing. And so there was all these different generations together coming together and going, we need to do this together. We're part of the church in London we recognize that this is difficult and not, none of us can do it on our own. We do it together. Now, I am 36 years old. Next Wednesday, I turn 37. And I just wanna let you know that I don't just need people that are my age to speak into my life. I need people that are younger and I need people that are older. I need to establish the kind of community for my own life of people that are intergenerational in different stages, different ages in my life. Because sometimes what happens is we just hang out and spend time with people our age. And I wanna just let you know when we do that, we miss out on something beautiful. 
we miss out on actually how the church was designed to function. And when you think about a church like ours, we're a younger church. We just celebrated three years. Now, can I just tell you on that side, um, if I cannot plant a church through a pandemic again, that'd be great. (laughs) Because it's weird. You're like, three years? That was a weird three years. Some really amazing things and some things I did not have any training for. And so we are a younger church, and that means that there's a, a large percentage of our church that is younger. But I do want to let you know that when Lee and I moved across the country to start Collective Church with a team full of people, one of the pieces that was really important to us is that we weren't going to be a church that was just a bunch of younger or one generation, but we wanted to intentionally value older voices. That we wanted to talk to people, spend time with people, and encourage people that are older to to be part of what we're doing. One of those couples is Jeff and Jody, and they're, they're at the back over there. Now, Jeff and Jody, we, th- this is an indication of, of the fact that we, we already, even when we first met them, we were like, there's something special, because Lee and I went out for coffee with them on Lee's birthday. I was like, Lee, are you sure you want to go on your birthday? She's like, yes, we should spend time with them. And I'm glad that we did, because Jeff and Jody have not only been amazing people, part of our team, but they become friends of ours. And Jeff and Jody are in their 60s. We are not in our 60s, right? And yet, I am so grateful because they can share things in our life that they, they can speak into our life about things that they've navigated. They've been, how many years have you been married? 41. 41? Yes! Okay, so, Lee and I have been married for 11. We can learn from that. And we spend time with them, and, you, and you, you hear the things that they've navigated, and it's been such a, a gift for us. But I do want to also let you know that not all older voices are equal. Because just because you get older doesn't mean you become wiser, more spiritual, mature, or frankly, more loving. Right? There are some people, I don't care whether you're young or old, like over time you just become more bitter and, and kind of cranky and more set in your ways. Which is why I, publicly I want to just communicate how much I value them because that isn't them. Like their heart is warm. They love people. They love Jesus. They, they love the church. They love people here. They, they, this is important for us. And so I don't want to suggest that we need to value older voices just because they're older. I want to suggest that we value voices that have navigated things that are difficult and done it well. I want us to to suggest that those of us that are younger need people that have been through difficult things and still have healthy marriages and love Jesus and have kids that love Jesus or are on the process of figuring all of that out, but people that are growing to become more like Jesus, that, that are demonstrating love in their life. We as a church, we value spiritual maturity. Not just, not just age maturity, but spiritual maturity. People who have navigated all those difficulties and come out the other side, and that can be young and that can be old. We are so grateful for people that have resilient faith, faith that can weather difficult storms. We, we value people in different stages that have navigated all the things that they have navigated. And it's, it's so important for us to, to process 
as a community that we want to make sure we are an intergenerational community. Now, here's the reality. I don't know if you've noticed this. Uh, we have more access to content than we've ever had in the history of humanity. Like, we, the internet is a cesspool sometimes, and also this great treasure trove of you can read all sorts of things about all sorts of people. We have more information through things like YouTube, some of it really bad, <laughs> some of it good. We have more access to content than ever before. And the problem is that we've settled into this rhythm that we think, if I can just know more, then I will be better. Then I will grow better. Then I will grow in spiritual maturity. And I want to just suggest to you that we don't just need more content. What we actually need more of is people that are modeling how to live it out. So when you look at people around you, we want to spend time with people that are actually doing it. Not just telling you all about the things that maybe you should know about whatever, the people that are taking that seriously. When Jesus talks about loving our neighbor like ourselves, we want to be around people that are actually doing that. That they don't just say, you know what, I've moved beyond loving my neighbor, I have other things to do. Instead, they love their neighbor well and we're inspired by it. We want to become people that develop resilient faith. The kind of people who can can possess the kind of faith that navigates all of life's temptations or difficulties, troubles, all of it, and still be anchored to Jesus and still go, you know what, I am who you say I am. You are still the miracle worker. And even though I don't see all the circumstances working out like I want them to, you are at work in them. People that have walked through that and haven't, haven't given up because it got difficult, they leaned in. That doesn't mean they pretend like it was easy. Like, I, I know, we don't want to be around a bunch of people that are like, I'm just blessed, too blessed to be stressed, and you're like, yeah, whatever. Go. <laughs> like, listen, you are blessed. That's amazing. That's amazing. But let's also just be honest, too. Like, we can be honest about, about what that means. Because sometimes being blessed does not mean what the world says it means. Sometimes being blessed means in, the, in spite of all the difficulties that I'm facing, God is present and God is good. We want to be, come and be around people that are becoming more and more like Jesus. And we don't want to just become people that are focused on good theology. That's orthodoxy, though that's very important. We also want to become people that think about orthopraxy. So that's the practice of what we believe. Okay, so orthodoxy, what we believe, orthopraxy, how that impacts our life. We want to be people that integrate those two things, that that is a reality for us. And this is why we need intergenerational community. There's a passage of Psalms that I want to work through that speaks about intergenerational community that I think is so important. And I'm feeling, I realized today when I got here, I forgot my Bible. So what I want to encourage you, if you have your Bible, pull your Bible out and go to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. If you have your Bible and you're not sure where Psalm is, Psalms are like almost right in the center. If you just Peel it in the middle, you'll probably hit one of the Psalms. There's a bunch of them. Psalm 78, and I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Psalm 78, and I'm starting in verse 4. Now, this is a Psalm that is written by David, and David says this in verse 4 We will not hide these truths from our, gener- or from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds 
of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob, he gave his instructions to Israel, he commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. So the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. I want to spend some time and I want to work through that because there, there is a lot of gold in there. I don't know if you caught it, but there's a lot in this little, in this little section of Scripture. Look even at the first verse. We will not hide these truths from our children. Now there's, if, if you notice, I started in verse four. That, if you are familiar with math, means there were three verses before. One, two, and three. And you might be wondering, why did you skip those parts? Because there's enough there. But what was it talking about in the first three? In, in the first three, it speaks of things from our ancestors, from history. Things that were hidden, things that were heard and were known. And so it talks about not hiding these truths from our children, the things from history, things that were hidden, things that were heard, and things that were known. We live in a really interesting cultural moment right now. In 2022, maybe if you've been around, uh, certainly in some of the church circles, you've heard words like progressive or progressive Christians. This idea that, that somehow we are, we are progressing as Christians. And what it actually means is we cast off the past. We cast off what's historically been an authority. And instead, we in 2022 say, we have figured it out now. We have a better idea of actually, so listen, I know there's thousands of years of history and scholars, but actually, we know better now. And it's redefining what it means to follow Jesus in the lens of us, not Jesus or the history of the church. And there's this underlying arrogance to it that somehow we've evolved beyond what was. That we've moved beyond what we knew, that we are somehow so much more advanced. So I talked about how, access, how much access we have to content. It's taking that and going, so we know it all now. We figured it all out. But that's a problem, because the problem is it's not true. I mean, it certainly is not true for those of us that follow the way of Jesus. We don't get to just look at everything that came before and went, you know what, I can figure this out better now. I've got it all figured out. We look at the, at the past, at the generations of generations of Christians that have given their life for orthodoxy and orthopraxy that have looked at who Jesus is and, and realized he is exactly who he says he is and they cannot live the same way they live in the way of Jesus. And it impacts every single area of their life. We have thousands of, of years of people that have surrendered everything, that have held this orthodoxy, that have held the reality of, of Christianity as central and when it changes everything. I've shared previously that that one of the things that's so challenging about this idea that somehow we can be our own authority and, and learn everything and go, well, we've, we've moved beyond this is what actually happens oftentimes, certainly in, in research and science, is that uh, there's a catch-up. All the psychological or sociological research, it's going, we've learned this new thing. And you go, that's not new. Jesus said that 2,000 years ago. 
And you go, no, 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 we've moved beyond him. We've discovered it as if that's somehow more valuable. So much of our faith is actually about looking back so we can look forward. It's realizing that what was true 2,000 years ago is still true today. And some of us are just catching up to what God has already said and Jesus has already revealed. And so we have this element of this progressive idea, but it's also mixed under this, this environment of what's called postmodernism. Okay, modernism, where everything is modern, postmodern, we move beyond modernism even. Okay, now just, there's, there's a lot here, but let me just give you a, a couple of really brief things. One of the elements of postmodernism is, is to critique everything. The other element is there's no absolute truth. Now, we've all been around this, right? When people go, I'm just speaking my truth. And you go, I thought there was truth. Nope, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. And you're like, well, what do we do with the things that seem to be true? They're not, they might be true, they might not. We're not. It's actually breaking down. But this idea of there's no absolute truth, here's the problem, is we are living on the earth that was created by a creator who personifies truth. His name is God. And so we can look and go, well, there's no such thing as objective truth, which in itself is objectively untrue. And just realize, you know, this is breaking down. And actually, that's what a ton of research is seeing, that this idea that you can be anything you want and it, and it really, there's no real truth and it's just about personal feelings and experience is, is breaking down and harming people. Here's the reality. The outcome of this way of living is not leading to people thriving. and In fact, people are not doing well. Lower levels of life satisfaction, higher levels of mental illness, without ancient wisdom, without divine authority, we falter. And we actually repeat the same mistakes over and over and over again and find ourselves crushed under the weight of living our own lives. And this is why this verse is so important. We will not hide these truths from our children. We're not going to hide the truth from our kids. We're not going to just go, you know what, you'll figure it out. I don't go to my four-year-old and say, you know what, you, you can just sort it out. But I'm around, kind of. We teach our kids. We help them to understand what is true about them and about God and how they've been created. And at its core, when we live in a different way, what we actually do is we live against the, the grain of reality. Like, imagine sandpaper against each other, just rubbing, and there's friction. And we're like, I don't know why this is so hard, and why I'm not doing well, and why I feel exhausted, because you're, you're trying to live your life your own way, and God's going, I actually created all of it, and I have a way of life that is better than this, and if you just surrender to me, then I would show you how to really live, and you go, no, I'll take it from here, I've got it. And there's friction, and there's challenges, and yet, the invitation, we will not hide these truths from our children. Thousands of years, generations of historical Christians that have gone before and lived lives that honestly look a lot better than some of the lives we're living. And we look at them and we see that Jesus is still true. He's still changing lives and he's bringing dead things back to life. This is true. And we will not hide these truths from our children. 
In our kids' ministry, in that room over there, there's kind of a divider. We have our kids. And in our kids' ministry at Collective, we don't just see it as babysitting or activity, like, hey, let's just give them a bunch of snacks, get them to run around, and hopefully burn off some energy, right? For us, it's actually really valuable development time. So many of the people that come to faith, I think it's like 80% of people that come to faith, it's before they turn 18. So significant season and, and time in the life of our kids, and we spend time with them, and we invest relationally with them, and teach them the truth of the word of God. But there's been a problem that's developed for those of us that have grown up in the church, that are parents. For so many of us, we've thought that as parents, our job is is to just kind of um, let the church take care of it. Like we spend time with our kids, but we're like, you know what? I'm not, Ill, I'm not equipped to, to teach the kids the, the truths. I don't wanna, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna do it well. I'll probably screw it up. And so hopefully the church takes care of it. Hopefully in the one or two hours on a Sunday morning, the people in kids ministry can do or undo the like 100, and, 100 plus hours that I get through the rest of the week. We, we bought into this lie that, that actually teaching our kids, discipling our kids is someone else's job. And if you're a parent, I just wanna let you know it isn't. It's your job. It's our job. It's our job to disciple our kids. It's our job as parents to actually teach our kids these truths, to, to speak about what God has done. It's our job. And we don't get to delegate that off to someone else. And go, you know what, I, I, I don't have all the answers and I probably am gonna do a terrible job, so if you can just take care of it. There's actually this amazing resource called Sticky Faith. And Sticky Faith did a massive research project and it looked at people who became young adults that, that didn't walk away from their faith. It looked at this massive cohort of people and it tried to understand, okay, what was distinct about the people that didn't actually walk away from their faith? How do we help people who are kids that love Jesus be adults that grow in maturity and still love Jesus and the church? And I'll get to a few pieces of that study, but the first and primary thing that I want you to know, if you are a parent, you are the single most influential voice in the life of your kid's spiritual growth. You, nobody else. Now I want you to think about how that plays out. They're watching you, so yes, they have access to all sorts of content, but what they need is people that model it. They're watching you model it. So if you don't pray, your kids are not gonna be people that pray. If you don't value Christian community, if you don't value consistency even on a Sunday, guess what, your kids will not either. If you don't model sacrificial giving, it's likely your kids will not be very generous. If you don't actually, actually live out your faith on a daily basis in a way that integrates Jesus to every part of your life, guess what? Your kids won't either. And sometimes we buy into this lie that you go, you know what? I know I I don't really live it out and I don't do all the things that I should do and you know, whatever. But, But if I bring them to church, that'll solve it. It doesn't. There is a degree that we are responsible, each of us as parents, to actually be the kind of people that are modeling to our kids what we want to see. The reality is you can't delegate discipling your kids to a church ministry. We can support you. We want to resource you. We're going to walk with you, but you are the biggest influence. 
And if you feel ill-prepared for the task, good, us too, let's do it together. Because there's no sense that we go, well, we've all got it all figured out. I don't know any parents that are like, I've got every single answer. If you find them, I don't know that you wanna spend time with them because they're probably wrong. Like the people that I respect the most are like, we learned some things, we did some things poorly, we're figuring it out, but let's figure it out together. Let's be the kind of people that actually, we don't hide these truths from our kids. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord. Okay, if you checked out while I was talking to parents because they're like, I'm not a parent, check back in. Because I, I talked about parents, but now it's saying each generation, the next generation, all generations telling the the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord. This is a responsibility for every single one of us. All of us are responsible for this. I once read about a church down in the States that that they were really reframing their vision and statements and who they were. And one of the things they said is, we want to be a church of all generations, constantly reaching the next generation. And I was struck by the beauty of that because I think a church that is always reaching the next generation is a church that is never dying because they're always thinking about the future. But the part that I actually thought was the most beautiful was not just that they were trying to reach the next generation, that they were a church of all generations. We don't do one or the other. It's not just about the next generation. It's about all generations. But we never want to become the kind of people that forget that there are people coming. There are kids growing up. There are kids that, like for our kids, Ava, a good chunk of her school experience in kindergarten was just with masks on. Took her a long time to go, I don't have to wear this inside. There are things that are being formed in her that we didn't have to navigate. And yet as adults, we did with our kids. And so we, as the all generations, get to reach the next generation. I mentioned the Sticky Faith content, and in their research, what they found is that 70 to 80% of people that grew up in church, went through all the youth ministry stuff, and did all the things that we have for them, 70 to 80% walked away. 70 to 80%. It's a massive number. And it used to be that we could guarantee, well, once they have kids, then they'll come back. That was kind of the, the model for churches. They're like, You know what, they'll have their days of partying and wayward living, but once they have children, they'll realize they need this community. The problem is that's not happening. And that strategy of just going like, hopefully it'll just work itself out is not a strategy. And I've seen this as a former youth pastor. I was a youth pastor in Calgary, and we had a big youth ministry and lots of activity and lots of things, and I still saw people that when there was a disconnect between their connection and their parents, walk away from their faith. And I've seen the challenge of our current model of doing ministry, the way that we do things in the church. And so when the sticky faith researchers are looking, they go, okay, 70, 80% walk away. It means 20 to 30% didn't walk away. They're going, why? What are some of the things that they saw that were consistent? One of the things that they saw speaks directly to this verse. They saw five to one ratio. Five to one. For every one student, teenager, child, they had five people that were not their parents in their life, that cared about them, that loved them. 
Now, sometimes the church model is we just, and I love going out for coffee, so don't hear that, but we're like, I just need to take five different kids out for coffee, or I need to, like, I need, maybe not kids. Don't take kids out for coffee, just saying. But you're like, I gotta, I gotta add more stuff to my schedule. Like, I, I gotta, okay, Tuesday's for this kid, and Wednesday's for this kid. I, okay, I need, no, you know what those people did? They actually asked kids, how are you doing? And actually cared. And then said, how can I be praying for you? And then actually did. And it wasn't in moments outside of even Sunday morning. Some of it was. And some of it was, as you're leaving, you don't just rush out and go, well, I got things to do. You stop and you, you get down to the level of some kid that you know or maybe your friend's kid or whatever. And you go, hey, it's good to see you. And you just let them know you love them and care for them and see them. Five to one. And that made a massive difference. Made a massive difference knowing that each person, younger generation, had five people outside of their parents that have meaningful relationships with them. And I saw this modeled out. I saw this modeled out in youth ministry. I had this volunteer named John. Now, I reached out to John last night, and I was like, hey, I'm mentioning you in my sermon, so he'll watch this. So, hey, John, I miss you. I love you. Don't hold anything against me if I say anything. John, John uh, I used to joke that John was really old, and he, and he wasn't. John was uh, in his late 50s or early 60s. I don't know. Like, there's a certain part you hit where you're like, I don't know, could be 40, could be 80. I'm not sure. That, well, maybe not 80, <laughs> 70. I don't know. <laughs> but there is a component. Like, even with me, they're like, how old are you? I'm like, 36. They're like, Really? And that could be one of either ways. I'm not really sure. But John was amazing. And though John was a little bit older, he was, he was the guy that when we do big events and we have like sumo suits, he was in the sumo suits. I watched him pile drive a kid in a sumo suit. And I was like, wow, John, how was your week at work? Uh, <laughs> And it was amazing because I would see him bring the energy. Because sometimes in youth ministry, you're like, we really value like the 20-year-olds, the cool, like just barely older than the kids. But here's John. And I had amazing leaders that were in their 20s. But John, in his 50s and 60s, was, I would say, the best of them. Because he actually cared for his kids. He had a group of boys in his small group. I think he had about half a dozen boys. And he didn't just delegate or relegate the time together to the couple of hours that we had youth on a weekly basis. John invested in his boys. His boys had access to John. One time I was checking in with John, I was like, how's everything going? And he's like, good. Uh, one of the guys broke up with his girlfriend, and I was like, man, that's, that's tough. And he's like, yeah, I've been on the phone with them pretty much every single day. So here you have John in his 50s talking to a kid who is 15 helping him to navigate heartbreak and difficulty and disappointment. And John's not saying to him, listen, uh, I'm too busy, but maybe we can talk on, on Sunday. John's going, call me. And as he was going to work, he'd be on the phone with this guy. And he'd be talking to him and loving him and caring for him. Now, I know one of the lies that we can believe, and I don't care what area we're involved in in any kind of church, is we can sometimes go like, uh, in order to engage someone younger, maybe I'm not cool enough. Can I just let you know? The younger generation does not care. They don't care. Do you, know what, you wanna know what they want? They want someone that loves them, that cares for them, that makes time for them. 
that actually invites them in, that talks to them with respect, that is willing to share honestly and through things. They need someone like a John. And I've seen the impact of people like that. And it's not just about people who are serving in youth ministry or kids ministry. It's people that embody that. People that are actually, people that go, you know what, it's not my job to interact with the children. They're off on their own. It's people that go, I'm gonna value every single person as I see them. I'm gonna treat every single one, older and younger, as equally of value. And the reason that someone like John was so significant and I was so inspired by is because I know all the stats about fatherlessness and broken families. We have massive amounts of people that don't know what it's like to have healthy relationships. They don't have dads in their life or they have parents that have split up and it's messy and dysfunctional. They need spiritual parents and spiritual grandparents. They need to see family differently They need people that actually care about them and love them and can represent some level of stability. Not perfection, but a better way of life. There is this other author or this other researcher named David Kinneman who does research for the Barner Group, and he said that children and young adults who develop relationships with those outside of their own age are more likely to remain connected to the church as a whole. Children and young adults who develop relationships with those outside of their own age are more likely to remain connected to the church as a whole. Now, in larger churches, we see oftentimes a split up. Like in the church that I was at, you'd have K to four, kindergarten to grade four, and if you have too many, we had a bunch, and so you'd end up having kindergarten in one room, grade one, grade two, grade three, and then I had grade fives and grade sixes in another room, and you have junior high, and then you have senior high, and then you have college, and then you have young adults, and maybe you have young marrieds, and you have young families, and then you get a little older, and you have 55 pluses. All these different ages and stages all segmented and separated. Now, I'm not saying that that's inherently bad. I'm not suggesting that I look and go, I can't believe that. I understand the place for that. But what I am saying is there's a disconnect if we know, if we are learning that intergenerational relationships are what actually keep people connected to faith. And not just for kids, also for adults. If that's the reality, if we only separate everyone according to age and stage, we rob ourselves of these opportunities. We, we rob ourselves of the opportunities to actually encourage someone who's 16 to spend time who's 60 and go, I can learn from you. You mean you actually understand some of the difficulties I've been through? You mean you've actually navigated it well? You mean you just lost your job and are disappointed now? Like all of life's challenges together. And for us to be the kind of church that beyond better programs, that we actually think through how do we create relationships across generations to see people grow and develop a resilient faith. Being the kinds of people that actually tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord and about his power and his mighty wonders. See, the truth is for many of us that have followed Jesus for any length of time, we have stories. Times that God showed up that did not make sense. Times when we prayed for healing and he did it. Times when we, had, we didn't have enough and God provided. All, all these areas where God showed up in power and we need to become people that tell others about that. Our younger generation needs to hear about stories of God's faithfulness to believe that he can do it again. It is so encouraging to me when I spend time, especially for us, Lee and I, one of, one of our overseers, Stephen Beth Fleming, they, they, they uh, planted a church 
They let it for 35 years and they handed it off. When I talk to Steve and I go, hey, I'm dealing with whatever difficulty, and he's like, I dealt with that in 1986. And then 1990, it got a little bit better. And it's so encouraging for me because I go, it's not just me. And then I go, what do you do? And he's like, I did some things badly and I learned some great things. And I go, tell me all of it. We look back when we spend time with people and they share stories of how God has provided and cared and led and shaped, and then it encourages us moving forward. Now, that's not just for younger and older. That's for all of us. We need to tell stories of God's faithfulness in the past. We have to become better at telling stories of God's power and his provision. This is why one of the things that I'm really excited about, we, we landed a midweek space. We're calling it an HQ, a headquarters. And it's a content in, the, in a, a building, a church that owns it. But we have two dedicated spaces and then we can use the other space through the week. One of the spaces we're dedicating an area of it to a studio. And it's not like some fancy thing, but we're gonna set up a camera and we're gonna leave it there. We're gonna have it set up with, with, with mics and anything that we need around lighting. Why? Because we wanna capture stories better. Like, we want to create a space that when we hear a story, we don't just go, that's cool. What else are you doing this week? Then we go, that's amazing. People need to hear that. Would you be willing to sit in front of a camera? And the person goes, not really. And you go, it's okay. It'll be great. Now, I want you to think about why that matters if part of our job is to tell the next generation about God's power and his deeds. Is that for us, like, can we be honest? Sometimes social media is like, a, like the internet. It's a cesspool where you're like, man, who does this? But I also think there's an opportunity for us to be a, a countercultural voice in social media. And so what if we shared stories of God's goodness and faithfulness and power to others? What if someone is just scrolling through Instagram and through God's provision show up and they see a story from you and they're moved and drawn towards Jesus? Maybe their life changes. Like we see a massive opportunity now, for some of the younger generation, they're like, I'm okay with doing it on social media, and my challenge is going, no, no, you gotta do it in person. Like, you actually have to get better, and I would say we all have to get better at this. We all have to get better at actually telling stories of what God has done to each other. And, and I know sometimes you're like, well, it's just a small thing. Yeah, and we wanna celebrate that, because what's small to you might not be small to others. We wanna share stories of what God has done. And the psalm continues where it says, God issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they, in turn, will teach their own children. It's so easy for us to think just about us, and I want to let you know that we at Collective Church are thinking future generations, kids that aren't even born yet, Kids, kids, kids. Like, we're not just trying to think about what we want in our own little moment. We're trying to go, how do we build with God something that actually lasts? We hold the long view in mind, and we put to death our personal preferences for the sake of others and what God wants us to do. And here's why in verse 7. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Not just the next generation, each generation. 
Each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. There is something significant that happens when we tell stories of God's goodness and his miracles to each other. It stirs something up in each of us. When we're around people that actually are experiencing significant things in their life, it just, it challenges us and we go, I want, I want that. How do I get that? How do I move in that direction? And this is why all of us as each generation need to be sharing with each other what God is doing, not just what God did, though we should celebrate those stories, but also what God is doing now. When we teach others, when we share with others, our hope is renewed and restored and so I've talked a lot about the, the younger needing older, but let me just tell you, it goes both ways. Younger needs the older, but the older needs the younger. Because let's be honest, you get older and you get kicked in the mouth a few times and you start to feel a little less, little less trusting, a little less, little less bold, a little less excited and a little bit more maybe. And we need younger who are passionate and, and, and see it and are praying and watching God show up to stir in us, I can experience that too. With all the wisdom of the experiences that are difficult. And let me just tell you, that's not just age, that's also stage in spirituality and in, in following Jesus. Because those of us that have been following Jesus for a long time, if it becomes just this rote, ritualistic thing that we just do, I show up to church, I check off the box, I do whatever, and then I leave. We need to be around some people that this is new for them. That they're like, you know that God actually answers prayers? I was reading the Bible, and you're like, I haven't read my Bible in three months. They're like, I was reading the Bible, and you know what it says in there? We need people like that in our lives. We need people in different stages around challenging each other and reminding us of what God has done. People who are passionate need to be around people that are not as passionate. We need to raise the level of our faith together. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. That last, that last line, we can know all about, all about the miracles, all about the, the stuff that God has done, but at the end of the day, we need to become people that actually obey God's commands. We're reminded about who God is because we can be anchored in his truth of Reality, knowing that the right thing is not the same as doing it. And if we, if we forget to do this, if we actually set aside intergenerational community and this, this pattern of celebrating what God has done, then what happens, we find in verse eight, then they will be, they will not be like their ancestors. If we don't forget, they will not be like their ancestors. Stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. Now, I want you to think about that. If we don't do this, if we don't tell the next generation and each generation about what God has done actively, we become stubborn, unwilling to change even if it's harming us, rebellious, wanting to resist authority, unfaithful, disloyal, or insincere. We become that. I don't know if you paid attention, but we've seen a lot of that. We've seen people that have forgotten, that have walked away, that go, it looks like this, stubbornness, rebellion, rebelliousness, and unfaithfulness. This is why intergenerational community is so important. We don't want to be, become the kind of community that is stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful. And we're invited to choose, do I want to live my way of life or the way of 
Jesus, where I actually let him lead and I surrender to his lordship. And all of it comes down to this last sentence, which I think for each of us is challenging. Refusing to give their hearts to God. That's what this generation looked like. They refused to give their hearts to God. I've said it before, but it's so important. I think that all of us, if we're not careful, have areas of our heart that we go, God, I'll give you my life, but not that. Like I'm willing to surrender most of it. I'm willing to give you, like, 85% is really good, God. And the invitation is to give our whole heart. Anything in our life that we're unwilling to let God challenge us on is an area that we need to pay attention to. It's a problem. We want to be people that give their whole life or their whole self to God that go, there's nothing I'm holding back. We don't want to become people that become stubborn and rebellious and unfaithful. But if we are our own authority, that's what happens. If we are the one that sets life as it should be, that's what happens. And when instead we live our life in surrender to God, it is not easier, but it's better. And instead we live lives that are different and they demonstrate power and they look more like hope. And there's more restoration, there's more love, and there's more impact in others. Church, we need to become the kind of community that really works on developing intergenerational community. Even if you're to look at our co-groups, we've done that really intentionally. It's not just one generation in our co-groups, and co-groups are our large, or we take our larger gathering, we split it up smaller into homes, because we need different people. If you're, if you're married, you need people that have walked through some difficulty and remained married. You need people that haven't just remained married and like bitter roommates, that love each other, that have God at the center. You, you need to be around people that are like that. If you're dating or you're struggling because you're single and you would prefer not to be single, you, you need to be around people that have navigated that. Some people that have thought, yeah, I thought I'd get married, but I'm not, but I've learned to see that God does not, does not fulfill me with a person he fulfills me. Like, you need people like that to go, how do you do this? Because there's so many lies that we believe. If I could just get married, if I could just have kids, if I could just have a house, if I could just get the perfect job, then I'd be happy. And you get people that have done all those things, and you go, they don't seem like everything is good. Because at the core of it, it is all about God being the one that actually satisfies us. We need other people that have gone where we are going or where we might be. Parents, we need people that have navigated difficult things with their kids and done it well. Not perfectly, but have been willing to model what it looks like to take an active role in the spiritual life of their kids. For those of us that, if you're in the room and either you're a student or you're fairly new to your job or you're trying to figure out, how do I have a, a life and a work rhythm? You need people who have succeeded in the wrong things that are willing to tell you, listen, I got all the things you think you want and it was empty. And here's what the right things are and here's the things that will actually give you life. You need different people and generations to speak into you. And older, you need the passion of youth and the idealism that it represents to encourage you to believe again. We need intergenerational community. We need each other, older and younger. I want to close with rereading the whole section of this psalm. We will not hide these truths from our children. 
we will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they, in turn, will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. Let that be true for us. Let's be the kind of community that actually celebrates with each generation what God has done, is doing, and will do. Let's not hide our truths from our children or from those that are different than us in their age and stage. Let's be the kind of people that challenge and encourage and listen and do life together. If you're wondering, how do I even do that? Co-groups are a great place to start. Our co-groups we're keeping open so that people can join at any point. And so if you're going, I want to be around people in different states, I'm not going to walk up to someone who's older and go, hi, do you want to be friends? Right? Join a co-group and get involved. We'd love to help you find one that's a great fit for you. Take steps to actually build relationships with people that are outside of you, whether you are younger or whether you are older. I believe that every single one of us should have people that are speaking in their lives that are younger and older than us. We should be investing younger and we should be investing in older. I want to challenge us, and I'm going to do it in our co-groups. I want to challenge us to be the kind of people that don't just say, yeah, intergenerational community sounds good. I want us to become the kind kind of community that actually does it that fights for it. Whatever age and stage you're at, wherever you are at with your, in your spiritual life or in your journey of following Jesus, I want you to know we value you and we need you in community. I wanna pray for us and then I want us to respond in worship. God, I am so grateful. I'm grateful for the older voices you've placed in my life. I'm grateful for people like John, people like Jeff and Jody that value the next generation. God, let us be the kind of church that values all generations, that we're constantly thinking about the future generation, but in the, the midst of where we are, that we are a group of people that really actually does real life together. We don't just talk about it. We don't just settle into our patterns, but instead we invite you. God, I pray that even this week that you would remind us of stories of your faithfulness, that you would do something significant in our lives so that we could tell others about it. God, let us be the kind of community that actually models what you invite us into. God, whatever we have going on, we need you. We trust you and we love you. Have your way, in Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you Sunday.